Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel Little Conversation, where experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Dana Mackey, Research Director at Mintel. Today on the podcast, we're talking about the future of film. What is the outlook for movie theaters, streaming platforms? What is the transition from COVID quarantine to reemergence to recovery going to look like? Before we dive in, let's do a round of introductions. Hi, I'm Rebecca McGrath, Mintel Senior Media Analyst uh, for Reports in the UK. I'm John Polking. I am Mintel's Senior Gaming Analyst. I primarily cover the video game industry, but I also write about movie theaters. So here in the U.S., it's it's almost hard to get a gauge of what's happening with movie theaters because it is kind of like a patchwork reopening as it is in many industries. Some cities are doing it, uh, are opening theaters, some states are, some are still closed down. John, can you start with the U.S. and give us just a little bit of a status update of what's happening in our market here? Yeah, it's uh, most states have reopened uh, their movie theaters. I think it's uh, at the time of this recording, it's all but four. But uh, that includes two of the biggest uh, markets. Uh, You know, a lot of California theaters are shut down. A lot of New York theaters are shut down. So uh, it's a lot of the rest of the country that needs to kind of pull the weight of the industry at this point. But uh, drive-ins have also been popping up either in a kind of pop-up setting or sometimes in a permanent setting. And the movie theaters that are opening have done a lot to reduce capacity, increase sanitation protocols, and really try to get people back uh, in, in a big way and get them to feel safe to sit in a closed space for two hours with strangers. I want to talk about in detail about almost everything you just mentioned from drive-ins to sanitation to like other barriers. Um, first, I want to I get a quick idea of what's happening in the UK. Rebecca, are you seeing similar levels of reopening there? Yeah, uh, cinemas are open in the UK. They've sort of been gradually opening since July. Uh, and again, it's the same. They're you know, introducing all the social distancing protocols and uh, sanitation protocols. Um, but right now in the UK, sort of we're experiencing quite a lot of local lockdowns, uh, which could start playing a role in, in sort of where cinemas are open. Uh, currently, they're not being shut down, keeping businesses open, but that could begin to play more of a role as um, sort of sort of fluctuates between different areas. So, so what I'm thinking right now, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's almost a chicken or an egg thing where distributors or production companies aren't releasing their films into theaters because they want to wait until people are back in theaters, but also people don't want to go back to theaters because there's no new movies to watch. Is that still the case? Or, I mean, we've already missed like summer blockbuster season. So is that going to happen in the fall? Like what's going to come first? I think, uh, the UK box office for like Tenant and everything has actually been quite um, successful, really. It's quite impressive. It passed 10 million uh, recently, which in the UK box office at this time is very impressive. So I think the appetite is there. So the films come out, I think in the UK people are ready to go. Um, but then again, that has, as I said, been in a time when cases have been very low in the UK. So it'll be interesting to see how how films do at times when maybe there'll be uh, sort of rising cases again. So, 
Oh, sorry, John. I just wanted to give a little warning to our audience. No spoilers, because I know John's already seen Tenet, so we won't go into the details of the movie. But John, what are you seeing? Because that was a real bellwether for the industry, a big release to see if people would actually go back. I, I don't know what um, what the um, outcome was here in the U.S. What, what did you see on opening weekend? Opening weekend in the U.S., Tenet made $20 million. So that, is that I don't even know if that's good or bad. Like, is that good? I don't know good? if that's good or bad. <laughs> no one knows. Yeah, it's tough to gauge whether or not that's good or bad because for a September release, that's actually pretty good. Uh, for a summer release, for what Tenet was kind of expected to do, it's a little bit on the lower side. But again, this, as you kind of said, it's the chicken and the egg thing. So, you know, somebody but somebody had to start the cycle. And the fact that this was, has, you know, kind of positioned itself as the symbol of the reopening of theaters. They really, you know, tried to hold as steady as they could for as long as they could. And, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan was very adamant about making sure that his vision of, you know, seeing it on a big screen wasn't going to be compromised despite all the things that have been coming up in the last six or seven months uh, that could compete with it. So the fact that it, you know, made some money and in the U.S. at least, it's really the only main release that's going to be in theaters through September. Uh, I think the next big one is maybe Wonder Woman. and so it has some time to kind of get people acclimated to going back to the theaters in some sense. So I think it's overall, it's pretty good. But I mean, especially given too, I think I saw a number that said that 65% of the movie screens in the US were available. So the fact that even at 65% potential, it's still making a little bit of money and it's also getting a lot more money from the international markets. I think internationally it's at 150 million um, and it's a $200 million movie. So it's on its way, but it's, I think it's going to be a longer road to a profit than a lot of movie studios have been used to in the last five years. So I know that, that to, to recoup some of the money that they're losing at the box office, they are a lot of, um, movies are are shortening the release window. So they're going to be in the theaters for a little bit, a short amount of time. And then they're going to like a pretty high price digital rental. So is this shortened release window going into the rental period? Is this going to be a successful strategy to recoup some of the budget that's being lost at the box office? I think it sort of very much depends on the content. Uh, Obviously we've seen it uh, with Mulan. That's their main release structure. And, um, we don't have data yet or haven't seen data yet about how successful it's been. My sense is it isn't a strategy that's ultimately can compensate for the box office losses because of that feeling that it's too expensive and I can just wait for it to be on streaming services which where I have endless library of content to watch anyway. So it might might work for some really hyped films that are incredibly well-reviewed but you're asking quite a lot of people to, quite a lot from people to want to spend extra money to watch at home when that's all they've been doing for the last six months anyway. Um, so I think it isn't necessarily going to be a very common strategy uh, or one that uh, really can compensate for the loss of movie theatres. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I think that if we, if there were more success stories in this field over the last six months, we probably would have heard about them. Uh, the fact that a lot of these streaming providers or, you know, digital marketplaces, you know, Apple TV, Amazon, the fact that we haven't heard really any huge success stories over the last six months is it makes me think at least that they're keeping you know their cards close to their chest and they they're they're just not doing as well as they might hope i mean we heard that trolls world tour made a hundred million dollars in rentals at the beginning of the pandemic and since then there's been uh dozens at least in the u.s of 20 dollar rental prices that have been released and i haven't heard any numbers about any of them and even a week after mulan was released on disney plus like rebecca said i haven't heard anything about how well that's done and so and especially with mulan where it's in it's a 30 dollar movie that is in a library of free movies it doesn't necessarily unless except for the fact that it's new and it's big i don't think it provides enough of a value add for consumers to not just you know watch i don't know the original mulan for the exact same price and especially since mulan is going to be available uh for free on disney plus in december you have you have to be a super fan uh, to want to watch it, of which you will always find some who will pay. But yeah, it's, if it's going to be out in a few months or weeks, then people will people will do that. And um, also, people know they're getting a lesser experience than what Mulan was meant to be, which is what a lot of the reviews have said anyway. That just it, this isn't how this film was meant to be viewed so it's quite a, a difficult to get people to pay for something that they know is a is a lesser experience on top of already having disney plus anyway I, i'm wondering if um if some of the streaming services have shot themselves in the foot a little bit with i'm just thinking back to disney plus released did an early release for onward they did an early release for frozen 2 and so now we're almost training viewers that if you wait a couple weeks this will be free to you or be a reduced price. I know um, I purchased a digital copy of, is it called Bloodshot, John? Is that the uh, Vin Diesel movie that I enjoyed so much at the beginning of the pandemic? That is what it's called, yes. Um, purchased that movie and it went on to rental the very next day. And I felt very foolish for making this $15 investment. And then it went down to, you know, a couple dollars. To be fair, I do own this movie now. So if anyone is interested in, um, in watching it, the Vin Diesel classic with me, I'd be happy to set up a little movie night. Um, but I do think we are, we are training people a little bit that if you wait long enough, it will come out. So it makes it harder to justify that early release price. I, I would say I'm glad you brought up Trolls because that was going to be my counterpoint because Trolls did do so well at the beginning of the pandemic. And I'm wondering if maybe these family movies are really like the the one category where um, where this digital rental works best because the kids and they're restless and they're at home and, and still we're doing a lot of remote learning here and we haven't been fully, we haven't fully come out of lockdown here in the US either. And so I think these like little shining moments of like, how do I entertain my kids? Like the $20 seems worth it. The $30 seems worth it. So I do think maybe um, in that area, they can have a little bit of success. And just if 
watching things collectively, then you know, then then the price doesn't seem as significant. Every you know, the whole family was going to the cinema, and then you can make an event, and um, and it's a whole uh, sort of nice evening or daytime for your for you and your kids. Um, it's but that doesn't mean that people individually on their own are going to think, oh yeah, like I'm willing to spend what well, is really quite high prices to to watch one film when you know subscribe to a streaming service for one month and have endless content. Yeah, it's hard to. I mean, the value is there for more collective viewing, whereas for a lot of movies that might be geared towards my audience, you know the the mid to late 20 somethings that are completely comfortable going to movie theaters by themselves. Uh, and it's not really the only collective part of the experience is just being in a larger space with strangers. Uh, the $20 price point that has been popping up, the $30 price point that's been popping up, they're not as great of values because it's not, it's going to be something that only I enjoy. And so therefore I'm going to want the most bang for my buck, which at least for me as someone that has been, you know, trained in going to movie theaters and grown up on theaters uh, for decades, it's, it's not something that just goes away because there's something slightly more convenient that's on my TV. So beyond providing new releases on streaming services, we also saw some kind of temporary or interim movie theater pops up, pop-ups over the quarantine period, including things like drive-ins. But we also saw like like boat movie drive-ins. I don't know what, what those would be called. Maybe, John, you can tell us about some of the things that popped up in the U.S. that were alternatives to a traditional movie theater setting. I mean, drive-ins were the big one because those are playing off of a sense of nostalgia that uh, is coming from uh, an older generation of... How dare you? (laughs) Continue. I didn't say anything (laughs) about who it was for. I just, I used as vague terms as I possibly could. But for instance, someone who is as youthful and sprightly as me might not have necessarily grown up with drive-ins. Wow, I said that with a weird inflection. I think that this is uh, something that harken, harkens back to um, a little bit more of a quote-unquote normal experience for watching movies. Like, it's still something that's safe, and it's still something that gives people that sort of, uh, you know, kind of comforting feeling that they would have going to a movie theater but it's you know it's also it was tested by you know decades of play before then and it has also a built-in sort of fanfare that i think has proven at least in the u.s to be a valuable alternative especially uh as the summer months kind of went on i'm sure that once you know the weather gets colder, frost accumulates on uh, driver windows a lot more easily, that drive-ins are going to be a little bit less relevant. But I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we start to see them pop back up next summer as things start to clear up in 2021. It's so interesting because drive-ins really aren't much of a thing here. We don't have any cultural nostalgia for drive-ins. That isn't an experience that sort of people heard about even their parents doing or uh, probably because we're slightly less 
car focused uh, society, but um, they have been popping up. They've been trying to in a sort of following the US way. They've been popping up and trying to experiment with them. So that's kind of fun. I haven't been to one. Um, but it, I could I could see sort of that interest. It just sort of, I've seen this on American movies and um, it is a way to keep safe. So there's kind of fun uh, uniqueness to it. But you know, again, it's one of those things where it becomes a story, but it's not really compensating for the fundamental movie-going experience. And it's, you've got to get people back into theatres if you're going to actually sort of save the movie industry in that regard. Completely. What are the types of things that theaters are doing? I know here, AMC, there was some back and forth about mask wearing, whether or not theaters were going to require that. And I think that's, um, that's, I think they, John, do they require uh, masks in the theaters? They do. They do. In, in AMC theaters and also to the Toronto Film Festival in Canada, they were going to do a sort of mask optional thing. But as, was, as with what happened with AMC, they got a huge backlash and the company needed to listen to that. And so the Toronto Film Festival, everything is, you know, masks everywhere. Same with AMC now. So, yeah, masks are a lot are required to enter theaters. So are there other specific protocols that theaters have in place to reassure consumers that coming back to movie theaters is safe? I don't know how well publicized they are, but so I've been to a few different types of movie theaters in the last few months, just because I missed it so, so much. <laughs> um, but there, the thing that I, I really like the most is their, the, some of the sanitation protocols they've been doing in the theater. Um, and again, I didn't know this until I got to the theater, but there are some theaters that I've been to that have taped off every single seat. And they have assigned seats so that, you know, you should be sitting a comfortable distance away from anyone else in the theater. But even if you are a prankster that doesn't want to sit in your required seat, um, you literally have to rip tape off of a seat in order to sit down in it. And so, therefore, the cleaning people at the theater know which seats people have sat in and, therefore, which seats they need to thoroughly scrub and uh, sterilize uh, as people sit down. Um, and there's just a lot of – there's encouraging online ticketing, I know. Uh, you can still buy tickets at the theater, but a lot of theaters have set up uh, self-serving kiosks as well, so you don't actually have to be in contact with one of the employees ever. Um, so those are some of the things that I've seen that have made me feel, as me as a moviegoer, feel comfortable being back there. It's remembering that they have every incentive in the world to make sure that uh, people are not are not getting it from their movie theaters. Um, and when you think about it on pure practical levels, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not a scientist, but people are pushing you know, going to restaurants, they're going to bars, which have less strict protocols, even though they have those calls. Uh, way less controlled than a than a theatre, so it's about helping people feel that um, actually you can be safe as anyone can be in in that environment. Uh, which I think you can convince people of, given that they're doing these other leisure activities that also carry risk. 
Yeah. I know that I felt, you know, more comfortable in a movie theater than some of these restaurants or open air, you know, leisure activities. It just depends on who the who's doing it and how they're doing it. And I think the more that they publicize the actions that they are taking, the more comfortable that people could potentially feel going back to this sort of way of watching. So I know just from John reading your movie theater reports over the past maybe two or three years that one of the big, uh, a big push in the industry was toward concessions and dining um, because that's such a good high margin revenue source for theaters. Is this going to disrupt that path um, toward more like premium concession offerings if people are wearing masks and maybe a little bit nervous to eat in the theater? In short, yep. I think... um, it's, sums it up. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, it's really interesting to see, again, going back to AMC, who's the largest movie theater operator in the U.S., they, I mean, they own nearly half of the screens in the U.S., and over the last few years, they put themselves in a lot of debt investing in dine-in options and bars in the theater and... Um, you know, service that goes to your seat, none of which seems appealing uh, to be a part of a movie theater experience now. And so, I mean, they had to refinance and I think they've made some strategic moves to kind of keep themselves uh, above water for a little bit longer. But I think that a lot of those huge investments that were made to make the movie theater experience a more premium one compared to the in-home viewing experience just aren't going to be as impactful as the main draw of the movie theaters, which is seeing a movie on a big screen. I think that this pandemic has really highlighted that fact that, you know, you can have the fanciest accommodations, but what's ultimately going to bring people to the theaters is the movies themselves and the theater experience itself. I did see, and I wish I had the stat in front of me, and John, maybe you know that in the U.S., IMAX did really well with the tenant opening because it does give that larger screen, big format experience and people that have been watching on their smaller, but here in the U.S., very large TVs. Um, I really wanted to see it uh, as big as possible. So maybe that's an option for movie theaters to kind of steer in that direction. I think 10% of its international revenue has come from IMAX screens, most of which is in the U.S. Yeah, I agree with everything John's been saying, that all of these sort of additions that the same UK operators have also been introducing, making it the whole evening leisure experience. But at the end of the day, people aren't going to the cinema because they want to... Like have the, for the food, even though like popcorn's a staple, they're going because ultimately there is something special about watching a film that you're excited about on a big screen um, with other people. That is an entirely different experience to watching you know, in your in your own home. And I really think you know for so long it's always been set up as streaming the film, and that's what all our reports have been about. Well, really, at the end of the day, they are two very different experiences and both can thrive and both have been thriving together. Um, And I think that's what it all comes down to. At the end of the day, that demand isn't going anywhere for people to want to watch 
on on a big screen and that will be there when this pandemic passes so it's just about keeping themselves sort of above water as much as possible for when that time comes um but at the end of the day movie theaters i don't believe are sort of going to go anywhere long term um just because people want them people still want to have that experience even if it's not you know as big as it once was i can yeah i completely agree with rebecca it's also interesting to see how i mean you see a movie that was meant for the big screen that is released on a streaming direct to a streaming platform and you feel the difference and there's a difference between something like like a Netflix action movie. Like I'm thinking about movies like Extraction or The Old Guard or Project Power, which have all come out, you know, in 2020 uh, on Netflix. And they've been these big budget action movies, but, you know, they're kind of, you watch them and they're certainly gearing towards an audience that's probably going to be a little distracted. You have some expository scenes that, you know, tell you, why things are happening so that the people that just want to watch gunfights and, you know, people beating the crud out of each other, they can watch those and still have a good time watching it. But there's something about the kind of isolation of a movie theater that puts your attention entirely on a screen that just makes it an inherently different experience than something where you're at home and, you know, thriving on distraction whether that's your phone or your family uh or you know a gust of wind it's there's a lot out there that uh can distract people and make it you know kind of a a secondary experience as opposed to a primary experience that you get from being in a theater streaming will never be an event the way going to going to cinema is it just it just can't and that's we see that across all different leisure industries um and we need there there ultimately has to be trust in that um even though it's going to be very difficult for the for the industry over the next coming years so as people that love going to the movies i would really like to hear what you're looking forward to seeing in the theater when it's finally released or when the theaters are open around you I have already outed myself as a Vin Diesel fan, so I will just say that Fast 9 is definitely on my radar as something that will get me back into the theater. Is there anything that you have marked on your calendar that you will go see with a tub of popcorn? I'm excited, uh, and we mentioned him earlier, I'm excited for In the Heights, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. That comes, yeah. Um, got delayed a year, so and God knows how much longer, but... Uh, um, that's exciting a big sort of spectacular musical that's, that's the perfect kind of thing that you want to see on a screen I don't know if John's familiar with that John <laughs> you know I've seen In the Heights seven times uh, and oh really? I have yeah and Rebecca the last time we did a podcast about this and we talked about recommendations you stole my recommendation then <laughs> And you just did it again. Seriously. (laughs) I swear to God, that's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, But for differentiation, uh, I mean, I've already started going back to the movie theaters. I did see Tenet. I saw saw Bill and Ted face the music, which I loved so much. Uh, 
Tenet, I'm going to probably see again because I'm... Does it make no sense? I'm confused. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed it, but I like. I need to see it again. Uh, so I'm really excited, you know, towards the end of the year, hopefully some of these things come out. Like, I'm excited about Wonder Woman um, mm. and uh, Dune. Uh, there's a couple... I mean, I'll see anything. <laughs> I love movies so much, but In the Heights would have been mine for sure. Well, at least movie theater brands can take comfort in the fact that they have three um, movie fans here chatting about their excitement to get back to the theater. So I'm sure that this is not, we are not the only people looking forward to some of the releases coming out at the end of this year and early next year. Thanks for chatting with me, guys, and thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast content. We'll be here next week with another episode of Little Conversation. Little Conversation.